Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 of Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Commentary on St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians by Martin Luther. Translated by Theodore Grabner. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then, fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem. Paul taught justification by faith in Christ Jesus, without the deeds of the law. He reported this to the disciples at Antioch. Among the disciples were some that had been brought up in the ancient customs of the Jews. These rose against Paul in quick indignation, accusing him of propagating a gospel of lawlessness. Great dissension followed. Paul and Barnabas stood up for the truth. They testified, Wherever we preach to the Gentiles, the Holy Ghost came upon those who received the word. This happened everywhere. We preached not circumcision. We did not require observance of the law. We preached faith in Jesus Christ. At our preaching of faith, God gave to the hearers the Holy Ghost. From this fact, Paul and Barnabas inferred that the Holy Ghost approved the faith of the Gentiles without the law and circumcision. If the faith of the Gentiles had not pleased the Holy Ghost, he would not have manifested his presence in the uncircumcised hearers of the word. Unconvinced, the Jews fiercely opposed Paul, asserting that the law ought to be kept, and that the Gentiles ought to be circumcised, or else they could not be saved. When we consider the obstinacy with which Romanists cling to their traditions, we can very well understand the zealots' devotion of the Jews for the law. After all, they had received the law from God. We can understand how impossible it was for recent converts from Judaism suddenly to break with the law. For that matter, God did bear with them as he bore with the infirmity of Israel when the people halted between two religions. Was not God patient with us also, while we were blindfolded by the papacy? God is long-suffering and full of mercy. But we dare not abuse the patience of the Lord. We dare no longer continue in error now that the truth has been revealed in the gospel. The opponents of Paul had his own example to prefer against him. Paul had circumcised Timothy. Paul defended his action on the ground that he had circumcised Timothy, not from compulsion, but from Christian love, lest the weak in faith should be offended. His opponents would not accept Paul's explanation. When Paul saw that the quarrel was getting out of hand, he obeyed the direction of God and left for Jerusalem, there to confer with the other apostles. He did this not for his own sake, but for the sake of the people. Verse 1. 
with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. Paul chose two witnesses, Barnabas and Titus. Barnabas had been Paul's preaching companion to the Gentiles. Barnabas was an eyewitness of the fact that the Holy Ghost had come upon the Gentiles in response to the simple preaching of faith in Jesus Christ. Barnabas stuck to Paul on this point, that it was not necessary for the Gentiles to be bothered with the law as long as they believed in Christ. Titus was superintendent of the churches in Crete, having been placed in charge of the churches by Paul. Titus was a former Gentile. Verse 2 And I went up by revelation. If God had not ordered Paul to Jerusalem, Paul would never have gone there. Verse 2 and communicated unto them that gospel. After an absence of fourteen years, respectively eighteen years, Paul returned to Jerusalem to confer with the other apostles. Verse 2, which I preach among the Gentiles. Among the Jews, Paul allowed law and circumcision to stand for the time being. So did all the apostles. Nevertheless, Paul held fast to the liberty of the gospel. On one occasion he said to the Jews, Through this man, Christ, is preached unto you forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 13.39 Always remembering the weak. Paul did not insist that they break at once with the law. Paul admits that he conferred with the apostles concerning his gospel, but he denies that the conference benefited or taught him anything. The fact is he resisted those who wanted to force the practice of the law upon the Gentiles. They did not overcome him, he overcame them. Your false apostles lie when they say that I circumcised Timothy, shaved my head in Centria, and went up to Jerusalem at the request of the apostles. I went to Jerusalem at the request of God. What is more, I won the endorsement of the apostles. My opponents lost out. The matter upon which the apostles deliberated in conference was this. Is the observance of the law requisite unto justification? Paul answered, I have preached faith in Christ to the Gentiles, and not the law. If the Jews want to keep the law and be circumcised very well, as long as they do so from a right motive. Verse 2 But privately to them, which were of reputation. This is to say, I conferred not only with the brethren, but with the leaders among them. Verse 2. Lest by any means I should run, or had run, in vain. Not that Paul himself ever thought he had run in vain. However, many did think that Paul had preached the gospel in vain 
because he kept the Gentiles free from the yoke of the law. The opinion that obedience to the law was mandatory unto salvation was gaining ground. Paul meant to remedy this evil. By this conference, he hoped to establish the identity of his gospel with that of the other apostles, to stop the talk of his opponents that he had been running around in vain. Verse 3 but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. The word compelled acquaints us with the outcome of the conference. It was resolved that the Gentiles should not be compelled to be circumcised. Paul did not condemn circumcision in itself. Neither by word nor deed did he ever inveigh against circumcision. But he did protest against circumcision being made a condition for salvation. He cited the case of the fathers. The fathers were not justified by circumcision. It was to them a sign and seal of righteousness. They looked upon circumcision as a confession of their faith. The believing Jews, however, could not get it through their heads that circumcision was not necessary for salvation. They were encouraged in their wrong attitude by the false apostles. The result was that the people were up in arms against Paul and his doctrine. Paul did not condemn circumcision as if it were a sin to receive it. But he insisted, and the conference upheld him, that circumcision had no bearing upon salvation and was therefore not to be forced upon the Gentiles. The conference agreed that the Jews should be permitted to keep their ancient customs for the time being, so long as they did not regard those customs as conveying God's justification of the sinner. The false apostles were dissatisfied with the verdict of the conference. They did not want to rest circumcision and the practice of the law in Christian liberty. They insisted that circumcision was obligatory unto salvation. As the opponents of Paul, so our own adversaries, Luther's, the enemies of the Reformation, contend that the traditions of the fathers dare not be neglected without loss of salvation. Our opponents will not agree with us on anything. They defend their blasphemies. They go as far to enforce them with the sword. Paul's victory was complete. Titus, who was with Paul, was not compelled to be circumcised, although he stood in the midst of the apostles when this question of circumcision was debated. This was a blow to the false apostles with the living fact that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised, Paul was able to squelch his adversaries. Verses 4, 5 And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, 
no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Paul here explains his motive for going up to Jerusalem. He did not go to Jerusalem to be instructed or confirmed in his gospel by the other apostles. He went to Jerusalem in order to preserve the true gospel for the Galatian churches and for all the churches of the Gentiles. When Paul speaks of the truth of the gospel, he implies by contrast a false gospel. The false apostles also had a gospel, but it was an untrue gospel. In holding out against them, says Paul, I conserve the truth of the pure gospel. Now the true gospel has it that we are justified by faith alone without the deeds of the law. The false gospel has it that we are justified by faith but not without the deeds of the law. The false apostles preach a conditional gospel. So do the papists. They admit that faith is the foundation of salvation, but they add the conditional clause that faith can save only when it is furnished with good works. This is wrong. The true gospel declares that good works are the embellishment of faith, but that faith itself is the gift and work of God in our hearts. Faith is able to justify because it apprehends Christ the Redeemer. Human reason can think only in terms of the law. It mumbles. This I have done, this I have not done. But faith looks to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, given into death for the sins of the whole world. To turn one's eyes away from Jesus means to turn them to the law. True faith lays hold of Christ and leans on him alone. Our opponents cannot understand this. In their blindness they cast away the precious pearl, Christ, and hang on to their stubborn works. They have no idea what faith is. How can they teach faith to others? Not satisfied with teaching an untrue gospel, the false apostles tried to entangle Paul. They went about, says Paul, to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. When Paul saw through their scheme, he attacked the false apostles. He says, We do not let go of the liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. We routed them by the judgment of the apostles, and we would not give in to them, no, not an inch. We, too, were willing to make all kinds of concessions to the papists. Yes, we are willing to offer them more than we should. But we will not give up the liberty of conscience which we have in Christ Jesus. We refuse to have our conscience bound by any work or law, so that by doing this or that we should be righteous, or leaving this or that undone we should be damned. 
since our opponents will not let it stand that only faith in christ justifies we will not yield to them on the question of justification we must remain adamant or else we shall lose the truth of the gospel it is a matter of life and death it involves the death of the son of god who died for the sins of the world if we surrender faith in christ as the only thing that can justify us the death and resurrection of jesus are without meaning that christ is the savior of the world would be a myth god would be a liar because he would not have fulfilled his promises our stubbornness is right because we want to preserve the liberty which we have in christ only by preserving our liberty shall we be able to retain the truth of the gospel inviolate some will object that the law is divine and holy let it be divine and holy the law has no right to tell me that i must be justified by it the law has the right to tell me that i should love god and my neighbor that i should live in chastity temperance patience etc the law has no right to tell me how i may be delivered from sin death and hell it is the gospel's business to tell me that i must listen to the gospel it tells me not what i must do but what jesus christ the son of god has done for me to conclude paul refused to circumcise titus for the reason that the false apostles wanted to compel him to circumcise titus paul refused to accede to their demands if they had asked it on the plea of brotherly love paul would not have denied them but because they demanded it on the ground that it was necessary for salvation paul defied them and prevailed titus was not circumcised verse six but of those who seemed to be somewhat whatsoever they were it maketh no matter to me this is a good point in paul's refutation paul disparages the authority and dignity of the true apostles he says of them which seem to be somewhat the authority of the apostles was indeed great in all the churches paul did not want to detract from their authority but he had to speak disparagingly of their authority in order to conserve the truth of the gospel and the liberty of conscience the false apostles used this argument against paul the apostles lived with christ for three years they heard his sermons they witnessed his miracles they themselves preached and performed miracles while christ was on earth paul never saw jesus in the flesh now whom ought you to believe paul who stands alone a mere disciple of the apostles one of the last and least or will you believe those grand apostles who were sent and confirmed by christ himself long before paul what could paul say to that 
He answered, What they say has no bearing on the argument. If the apostles were angels from heaven, that would not impress me. We are not now discussing the excellency of the apostles. We are talking about the word of God now, and the truth of the gospel. That gospel is more excellent than all apostles. Verse 6. God accepteth no man's person. Paul is quoting Moses. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. Leviticus 19.15 This quotation from Moses ought to shut the mouths of the false apostles. Don't you know that God is no respecter of persons, cries Paul? The dignity or authority of men means nothing to God. The fact is that God often rejects just such who stand in the odor of sanctity and in the aura of importance. In doing so, God seems unjust and harsh. But men need deterring examples. For it is a vice with us to esteem personality more highly than the word of God. God wants us to exalt his word and not men. There must be people in high office, of course, but we are not to deify them. The governor, the mayor, the preacher, the teacher, the scholar, father, mother, are persons whom we are to love and revere, but not to the extent that we forget God. Lest we attach too much importance to the person, God leaves with important persons offenses and sins sometimes astounding shortcomings to show us that there is a lot of difference between any person and god david was a good king but when the people began to think too well of him down he fell into horrible sins adultery and murder peter excellent apostle that he was denied christ such examples of which the scripture are full ought to warn us not to repose our trust in men. In the papacy, appearance counts for everything. Indeed, the whole papacy amounts to nothing more than a mere kowtowing of persons and outward mummery. But God alone is to be feared and honored. I would honor the Pope. I would love his person if he would leave my conscience alone and not compel me to sin against god but the pope wants to be adored himself and that cannot be done without offending god since we must choose between one or the other let us choose god the truth is we are commissioned by god to resist the pope for it is written we ought to obey god rather than men Acts 5.29 We have seen how Paul refutes the argument of the false apostles concerning the authority of the apostles. In order that the truth of the gospel may continue, in order that the word of God and the righteousness of faith may be kept pure and undefiled, let the apostles, let an angel from heaven, let Peter, let Paul, let them all, perish 
verse 6. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. The apostle repeats, I did not so confer with the apostles that they taught me anything. What could they possibly teach me since Christ, by his revelation, had taught me all things? It was but a conference and no disputation. I learned nothing, neither did I defend my cause. I only stated what I had done, that I had preached to the Gentiles faith in Christ without the law, and that in response to my preaching the Holy Ghost came down upon the Gentiles. When the apostles heard this, they were glad that I had taught the truth. If Paul would not give in to the false apostles, much less ought we to give in to our opponents. I know that a Christian should be humble, but against the Pope I am going to be proud and say to him, You, Pope, I will not have you for my boss, for I am sure that my doctrine is divine. Such pride against the Pope is imperative, for if we are not stout and proud, we shall never succeed in defending the article of the righteousness of faith. If the Pope should concede that God alone, by his grace through Christ, justifies sinners, we would carry him in our arms, we would kiss his feet. But since we cannot obtain this concession, we will give in to nobody, not to all the angels in heaven, not to Peter, not to Paul, not to a hundred emperors, not to a thousand popes, not to the whole world. If in this matter we were to humble ourselves, they would take from us the God who created us, and Jesus Christ who has redeemed us by his blood. Let this be our resolution, that we will suffer the loss of all things, the loss of our good name, of life itself, but the gospel and our faith in Jesus Christ, we will not stand for it that anybody take them from us. Verses 7, 8 But contrariwise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectively in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. Here the apostle claims for himself the same authority which the false apostles attributed to the true apostles. Paul simply inverts their argument. To bolster their evil cause, says he, the false apostles quote the authority of the great apostles against me. I can quote the same authority against them, for the apostles are on my side. They gave me the right hand of fellowship. They approved my ministry. O oh, my Galatians, do not believe the counterfeit apostles. What does Paul mean by saying that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto him, and that of the circumcision to Peter? Did not Paul preach to the Jews, while Peter preached to the Gentiles also? 
Peter converted the centurion. Paul's custom was to enter into the synagogue of the Jews, there to preach the gospel. Why then should he call himself the apostle of the Gentiles, while he calls Peter the apostle of the circumcision? Paul refers to the fact that the other apostles remained in Jerusalem until the destruction of the city became imminent. But Paul was especially called the apostle of the Gentiles. Even before the destruction of Jerusalem, Jews dwelt here and there in the cities of the Gentiles. Coming to a city, Paul customarily entered the synagogues of the Jews and first brought to them, as the children of the kingdom, the glad tidings that the promise made unto the fathers were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When the Jews refused to hear these glad tidings, Paul turned to the Gentiles. He was the apostle of the Gentiles in a special sense, as Peter was the apostle of the Jews. Paul reiterates that Peter, James, and John, the accepted pillars of the church, taught him nothing, nor did they commit unto him the office of preaching the gospel unto the Gentiles. Both the knowledge of the gospel and the commandment to preach it to the Gentiles, Paul received directly from God. His case was parallel to that of Peter's, who was particularly commissioned to preach the gospel to the Jews. The apostles had the same charge, the identical gospel. Peter did not proclaim a different gospel, nor had he appointed his fellow apostles. They were equals. They were all taught of God. None was greater than the other. None could point to prerogatives above the other. To justify his usurped primacy in the church, the Pope claims that Peter was the chief of the apostles. This is an impudent falsehood. Verse 8 for he that wrought effectively in Peter. With these words, Paul refutes another argument of the false apostles. What reason have the false apostles to boast that the gospel of Peter was mighty, that he converted many, that he wrought great miracles, and that his very shadow healed the sick? These reports are true enough, but where did Peter acquire this power? God gave him the power. I have the same power. I received my power not from Peter, but from the same God, the same Spirit, who was mighty in Peter, was mighty in me also. Luke corroborates Paul's statement in the words, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them acts nineteen eleven twelve to conclude paul is not going to be inferior to the rest of the apostles some secular writers put paul's boasting down as carnal pride but Paul had no personal interest in his boasting. It was with him a matter of faith and doctrine. 
the controversy was not about the glory of Paul, but the glory of God, the word of God, the true worship of God, true religion, and the righteousness of faith. End of chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.